I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Well, I'm Eric Ashley, and honored and grateful to be the lead pastor here at Grace, where our mission is to create a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace. And uh, haven't we at all times in our lives, at some point, we've been like Stanley Johnson, right? Or felt at least like we're getting toward that spot. Can you think of some of the, now these would not be problems that you would personally have, I know that. No one in the Fishhawk area has any of Stanley Johnson's problems. But what are some er other problems in the area of financial stewardship that you've heard other folks have <laughs> issue with? Student loans. Student loans. Credit card debt. Credit card. Health care. Health care, yeah. Mm -hmm. Car payments. Car payments. Owing parents. Owing parents. Elderly, elderly parents. Yeah. yeah. College kids. What's that? V-Bucks? Okay. All right. Have no idea what that is. Good. I'm good. I'm okay not knowing what that is, I think. And we've all, there's all kinds of financial problems out there. And, and we seek information. We seek knowledge to try to figure out how to fix these. And, and, and we have good intentions that we're going out there trying to find out how to get out of this place. And, and none of us intend to, like Stanley Johnson didn't attend, he didn't intend to be up to his eyeballs in debt. It happened over time, slowly. Kind of like the frog in the pot, right? The frog got in the pot of water and they slowly started turning up the temperature until the pot was boiling. So we get in the pot of life, and we're trying to live our best life, usually, right? And the water just gets warmer and warmer and warmer. And then, like Stanley Johnson, we are kind of out of control, and we need help. I think pretty confidently we can all relate that we've been there at one point or another in our lives, and can recognize people around us as well. So. We need help. In uh, these next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a new series called Earn, Save, and Give, John Wesley's Simple Rules for Money. In the next three weeks, kind of looking at these simple rules like Grandma and Grandpa told us, uh, but uh, we're going to look at them from a, a scriptural, wisdom-based look. So uh, would you stand and greet one another with a handshake, a fist bump, or a high five? Like Stanley Johnson, we all need help, and, um, and probably there's some of us out here that could use a little more or would like a little more money or savings or retirement funds. And how we handle money how we earn, save, and give really, really matters. And, and, and it's for us as followers of Jesus, 
It's, it's an even deeper issue of just doing it well. Scripture, scripture teaches us that how we relate to money is at the very, very heart of our relationship with God. Matthew 6.21 says these words, you've heard them. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we're investing our money, where we're giving our money, where we're spending our money shows where our heart is. There's, a, there's an old thing I remember from years ago that uh, people were using, uh, teachers were using, and said, you know, if you really want to know someone's spiritual heart, you look at their checkbook and you look at their day planner and you really find out what's really important spiritually to them. And this verse is kind of like that. So if you know, where our treasure is, our heart is as well. And it would be a much easier verse if it was just like, you know, where our heart is, our treasure is. It just came along with us. But many times it, it doesn't always come along with us. Jim Harnish goes on to say, our attitudes toward money and the priority we place on our possessions are matters of the heart. They go to the core of our identity because of the soul-level importance of our relationship with money. We need more than information and knowledge. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. That's the help that Stanley Johnson really needs, is wisdom. And we're going to look today and, and, and go to who the scriptures say is the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. We're going to go into the very beginning of a book called First Kings in the Old Testament. It talks about the rise to power of King Solomon. It's an interesting story with the various wives of David behind the scenes. It would be a good uh, mini-series drama nowadays of them kind of jockeying for position and power. But we're going to skip ahead of that and see where he actually comes into power. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Here it is. Solomon became the son-in-law of the Pharaoh, Egypt's king, when he married Pharaoh's daughter. He brought her to David's city until he finished building his royal palace, the Lord's temple, and the wall around Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the people were sacrificing at the shrines because a temple hadn't yet been built for the Lord's name in those days. Now Solomon loved to walk in the laws of his father David, with the exception that he had also sacrificed and burned incense at these other shrines. The king went to the great shrine at Gibeon in order to sacrifice there. He used to offer a thousand entirely burned offerings on that altar. The Lord appeared to Solomon at Gibeon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. So this was, this was Solomon's genie lantern moment, okay? Ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. 
You guys formulating in your minds what you might be asking for? Does anybody have any righteous things they're asking for, or are we just thinking about boats and scooters and cars and paid-off houses? And Yeah, I have some righteous and some unrighteous wishes. But Solomon responded, You showed so much kindness to your servant, my father David, when he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and with a heart true to you. You've kept his great loyalty and kindness for him and have now given him a son to sit on his throne. And now, Lord my God, you have made me, your servant's king, in my father David's place. But I am young and inexperienced. I know next to nothing. But I'm here, your servant, in the middle of the people you have chosen, a large population that can't be numbered or counted due to its vast size. Please give your servant, hear this, please give your servant a discerning mind in order to govern your people and to distinguish good from evil, because no one is able to govern this important people of yours without your help. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had made this request. God said to him, Because you have asked for this instead of requesting long life, wealth, or victory over your enemies, asking for discernment so as to acquire good judgment, because you've asked for this, I will now do just what you said. Look, I hereby give you a wise and understanding mind, there has been no one like you before now, nor will there be anyone like you afterward. I now also give you what you didn't ask for, wealth and fame. There won't be a king like you as long as you live, and if you walk in my ways and obey my laws and commands, just as your father David did, then I will give you a very long life. Solomon awoke and realized it was a dream. He went to Jerusalem and stood before the chest containing the Lord's covenant. Then he offered entirely burned offerings and well-being sacrifices and held a celebration for all his servants. So even though Solomon was young and inexperienced, he asked for the right thing. That's pretty wise itself. And what did he get? In verse 9, it tells us a discerning mind in order to govern your people and distinguish between good and evil. Other translations say he gave him wisdom or, or an understanding heart or a God-listening heart, a discerning heart. So whatever you might call it, discernment, wisdom, understanding, God-listening heart, discerning heart, Solomon was given wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom and was given it. So what is this wisdom? What is this wisdom from a scriptural standpoint? It is, wisdom is more than just a collection of information and knowledge. We all can collect information and knowledge, and nowadays you can collect information and knowledge at a rate and a pace and a level like never before. But Wisdom is gaining divine wisdom. It's gaining God's wisdom, not just gathering lots of information. The writers of the Old Testament understood wisdom to be a gift of God. 
It was a gift of God. A gift of God that enables us to know what to do with the knowledge that we gather. So we're still gathering information and knowledge, but wisdom is the gift from God to know what to do with it. So we can live faithfully and well in our relationship with God and others. If we look back on history, we can see people that gathered an immense amount of information and knowledge and didn't use it for good, right? Look all over history. The ancient sages of the Old Testament time were not interested in knowledge that was separated from goodness. Knowledge separated from goodness was of no matter to them. But wisdom and goodness and knowledge were linked together. Most of our knowledge that we get from the Bible comes from just a few books. A lot of it's in the book of Proverbs. Some in, in Job, some in the Psalms, some in the Song of Songs, or it's also called the Song of Solomon. There's some extra biblical books that our Catholic friends have that we don't have that are wisdom books as well. But we can see most of this, this wisdom is, is given in the book of Proverbs, which gets kind of overlooked many times with looks like these are little pithy little sayings that grandma and grandpa might have said, but uh, they contain gems of wisdom. And it starts out right in, in the beginning of Proverbs saying this, their purpose is to teach wisdom and discipline, to help one understand wise sayings. They provide insightful instruction, which is righteous and just and full of integrity. They make the naive mature, the young knowledgeable and discreet. The wise hear them and grow in wisdom. Those with understanding gain guidance. They help one understand proverbs and difficult sayings, the words of the wise, and their puzzles. So the book of Proverbs is meant to help us gain understanding and to gain wisdom. And so today, if we remember nothing of leaving this place, the thing I want us to focus on is that we don't necessarily need more money when it becomes part of our financial situations. Some of us do. Some of us, I know, are we're out of work or we're underemployed or we're struggling you know, with debt. We have too much house and not enough paycheck. But many of us don't necessarily need more money right now. We need more wisdom on how to handle the money that we do have. And the good news, the good news is that the scriptures are full of this kind of wisdom. And it's free. The wisdom within the scriptures is free and it's full, chucked full in the Bible and the teachings of the Wesleyan tradition. There's four things I want to look at really quickly about wisdom before we move forward. The first is that wisdom begins with God. This is kind of obvious, right? Wisdom begins with God. We get most of our wisdom from the wisdom literature, the, the inspired word of God, and it comes from God. But in our post-enlightenment, in our modern world, we've gotten kind of consumed with this idea that 
we can, if we just gain enough, enough knowledge, enough information, if we just get all the parts that we need to know, we can figure this thing out. And we've forgotten about the wisdom part. And that's where some of our, some of our history has come into mind where we have all this knowledge, but we haven't had the wisdom to go with it, and evil has come into the world through these things. So wisdom comes from God, and Proverbs 1.7 tells us that very thing. Proverbs 1.7 says, Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this fear of the Lord is, is not this, oh, fear. It's not the Halloween movie. It's not the, you know, the uh, theme park scaring time during the October months. It's, it is an awe and, and a reverence. It is a wonder. And sometimes we lose that. You know, sometimes you have these pastors that you know, feel like it's okay to wear jeans to church and tennis shoes and uh, you lose some awe and wonder and reverence. And if you ever lose your awe and reverence and wonder, I would recommend going and finding a beautiful church. We don't have many cathedrals around here, but go find a beautiful church and, and just stand in the building. Hear, hear the, the echo of the building, particularly if it's an old church, too. And you have the echoes of the generations before you. You look at the stained glass and the stories in the stained glass. Not only the stories of Scripture, but the stories of those many times who gave money to provide those stained glass. I know for our family, it's, we have a, a set of carillon bells that our family gave in honor of Tracy's grandfather in Pennsylvania in the church that he served there. And so there's stories in those walls. Or go sit outside, maybe tomorrow when it's supposed to be a little cooler, and sit in, in awe and reverence of God's great creation. That will get you back into awe and reverence and wonder. Secondly, wisdom is passed on to the next generation. That is our role, to pass it on to the next generation. We can all think back in our lives, or maybe even right now, we have one of those wise sages in our lives. It might be a, an aunt or an uncle or maybe a parent. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's just somebody you know that is, you know, this person is the wisest person I know. They always seem to know exactly what to do or what to say. We all have those folks. In, in Psalm 78, verse 1 through 7 talks about this idea of passing on to the next generation. Listen, my people, to my teaching. Tilt your ears toward the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a proverb. I'll declare riddles from days long ago, ones that we've heard and learned, a lot, learned about, ones that our ancestors told us. We won't hide them from our descendants. We'll tell the next generation all that the all the praise do the Lord and his strength the wondrous works God has done he established a law for Jacob and set up instructions for Israel ordering our ancestors to teach them to their children this is so that the next generation and children not yet born 
will know these things and so they can rise up and tell their children to put their hope in God, never forgetting God's deeds, but keeping God's commandments. So we're called to pass this on to the next generations, but not only the next generations that are already here, but the, but the generations that are not even yet here. Thinking about my grandchildren are there yet to come, or George Lysette and Kirsten Lysette became grandparents this week. And before that baby boy came into the world, across the other side of the world, that God had a plan to pass on this wisdom from generation to generation to generation. Passing on wisdom, particularly financial wisdom, is an excellent gift to pass along to the next generation. Thirdly, wisdom is better than wealth. In the scriptures, the writers over and over and over remind us that given the choice between wisdom and wealth, you should always choose wisdom. Proverbs 3, 13 and 16 says this, Happy are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. Her profit, ladies, do you notice that Every time we talk about wisdom, it's in the feminine. Wisdom is her profit is better than silver and her gain better than gold. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Right. Husbands just nod and say yes. I love you, honey. Her value exceeds pearls. All your desire can't compare with her. Her right in her right hand is a long life. In her left are wealth and honor. Just like Solomon, that proverb tells us that if we follow and seek after wisdom, many times wealth and honor come with it. It may not be the wealth and honor that we are thinking of. It may not be a new boat and a jet ski and a brand new truck, but it is God's wealth and God's honor that comes with wisdom. Many of the Old Testament writers were convinced that the most important battles were not between good and evil, but rather they were between wise and foolish. I know when I look through, back through my life, a lot of the areas of my life weren't, weren't these great battles of, of uh, good versus evil. It wasn't the, you know, the white angel on one side and then the, the little red devil on the other side. It was making a wise decision or making a foolish decision particularly many times financially. So wise versus foolish. And, and Jesus echoes those in his parables of wise and foolish people as well. He uses these Old Testament parables and Proverbs to develop his own stories. Lastly, wisdom leads to life. Proverbs 3, 7, and 10 says, don't consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord. Again, with the fear, the reverence, the awe. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then your body will be healthy and your bones strengthened. Not only you get financial wealth, but you get health, or emotional and well-being, physical health. Your bones will be strengthened. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Wisdom leads to life. Biblical wisdom is centered in helping us to order our lives around our commitments to Christ. Hear that again. Biblical wisdom is centered around helping us order our lives, all of our lives, around our commitment to Christ so that we can live well in every single area of our lives. Not just finances, but our emotional life, our physical life, our mental life, our relational life. So again, I propose to you, we don't necessarily just need more money. We need more wisdom. So these next couple of weeks, we're going to look back to John Wesley. And John Wesley was a very practical theologian. He had sermons for all kinds of different things that were very practically oriented. And this one sermon called On, Taking, on Controlling Money where he talked about the three simple rules of controlling money was earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I don't know how that all adds up. doesn't seem like it will add up to 100% to me. We're going to look at that in the next two weeks. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And it's going to sound very much like grandma and grandpa's wisdom around the kitchen table about how you should handle your finances. So in all honesty, I have not always been a good financial steward. It's been a struggle of my, of my adult life, especially. And there's many of you guys out there who are really, really good at this. And we need to learn from you. We need to pass on your wisdom to those and, and be able to help counsel some of us on how you did it. But in these next weeks, what I'm going to ask us to do is that I'm going to invite you to engage in these upcoming teachings on wisdom and on Wesley's simple rules for money stewardship and just see how God might use it. See how God is are going to use these teachings for you to gain wisdom and insight on how you may uh, handle your finances, but also how wisdom may spread throughout your entire life. And there's good news in this, friends. The good news is that we do not enter into this alone. We join with generations and after generation after generation of Christians before us, both Methodist and otherwise, who have proven that the wisdom of the Scripture and John Wesley's words, they are the promise and they are true. And we see that in the epistle of James. James chapter 1, verse 5 says this, Anyone, anyone who needs wisdom should ask God. For God's very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. So again, friends, we don't necessarily need more money we need more wisdom, and it's there for the asking. So as we get ready to close, can, can you imagine what it might be like if we asked for wisdom, as James tells us to, and, and how to handle our financial lives, our financial stewardship? 
or wisdom in other areas of our lives? Can you imagine if we individually were able to better handle our stewardship of money? What would that mean for us individually in, in our health, in our peace of mind, the weight of our shoulders, for our families, for our church, for our community, and ultimately for our world? It's not only individually that many of us have kind of fallen off the rails on how to steward our finances from the very local level of government and organizations to the very highest level of government around the world. This whole financial stewardship and wisdom, we've lost the wisdom in dealing with our money. We've got lots of knowledge, but we don't have wisdom. We need to regain our wisdom. We don't need more money. We need more wisdom. Amen? Would you stand and sing as we close and sing to the Lion of Judah?